I guess the first thing I have to say is thanks for being here. Because between eternal security last week and the end times this week, I wasn't sure anybody would show up for church. So I'm relieved and glad that you're here for the very first message in a brand new series we're going to call Collision Course. Because what we want to do, what we're going to do in the next few weeks is, is talk about what a lot of people are talking about. Talk, we're going to talk about things that, that other people are interested in. Everywhere I go and seemingly everywhere I turn, people want to know what's going to happen at the end of the world. Are we living in the end times? We can look around and we see a, a plethora of natural and man-made disasters, don't we? Earthquakes and floods and tsunamis and war, famine and human depravity at a, at a level that we can't imagine, that wasn't possible to imagine even a generation ago. And there are all kinds of theories about how it's all going to end. Some people think that another planet or maybe an asteroid is going to hit Earth and destroy it. Some think that we're going to be seared, burned up by the heat of the sun. Some think that aliens are going to come from somewhere and take over this world. Personally, I am part of a small but reputable group that believes that we're going to be destroyed by highly evolved evil cats <laughs> who develop thumbs and take over the world. But um, no, I'm just kidding about that. If you've ever searched end times on Google, and if you haven't, I do not advise you to do so. But if you've ever done it, you'll know that the topic is huge, and it goes in a lot of different directions. People are interested in the end times for all different kinds of reasons. Some are interested, it seems to me, even a lot of Christians are interested in it for political reasons. You know, they're always looking for uh, Russia, the bear, and, and uh, America, the eagle, and trying to, to tag every president since John F. Kennedy with the Antichrist label. Some are interested in it for more uh, spiritual reasons, I suppose, but it's a topic that goes everywhere, all at once. And so what I hope to do is to is to narrow it down a little bit for us, to give us a, a tight focus on what the Bible says in a couple of key places. Now, if you came here today looking to, um, to learn the identity of the Antichrist or uh, who's Gog and who's Magog and, and blood up to the bridle of the horses and that kind of stuff, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not going to go there. We're going to tightly focus on what the Bible says in a couple of key places. And here's what I hope. You see, a lot of people, when they start studying the end times, they get scared. Think about it. Think about every TV show, uh, every preacher on TV that talks about the end times. How do their programs begin? There's like troops dressed for battle, right? There's, there's film of them marching across the screen. Jump, jump. There's huge artillery cannons firing. Boom! Right? There's, there's a little half-naked child crying, walking through the street. like. And then the, the capper, always right before the evangelist comes on, is a big mushroom cloud, atomic uh, bomb, atomic devastation. 
So people start studying this, and, and they, they get afraid sometimes. They, they read Brother Sounding Brass's book or listen to Sister Tinkling Cymbal's CD, and all they hear is calamity and turmoil and persecution, and they get afraid. Well, what I hope to do is show you that the Bible's teaching on the end times should produce in us not fear, but great joy and hopeful anticipation. You see, the end times is part of the gospel, and the gospel is good news. Not bad news. Not scary news. It's good news. So here's, here's what we're going to do today. I want, I want to start by building a foundation. And if, if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Wow, I'm not going to be able to see that. And if, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, two things. Two, uh, one, I encourage you to bring one. If you have one, you have one you can read and understand, bring it with you. Um, you may want to mark some things down. You may want to make some notes in the margin, underline some things. Um, if you don't have one that you can read and understand, we'll give you one. Just let us know that you need one or want one, and, and we'll give you one. And then uh, secondly, the, the scriptures are always going to be in the message notes, so you can look there. So we're, we're, we're building a foundation, and... Uh, there may be some who say, you know, I've never really studied this, and you're going to listen to some of the things that we say, not just today, but over the, the next three weeks, and you're going to say, boy, that sounds weird. And you're right, it is. God is weird sometimes. Let's just go ahead and admit it. Okay, it's not irreverent. He does things in his way, and his way sometimes doesn't seem normal to us. Amen? The events that we're talking about are weird, just like the Old Testament prophecies that prophesied about the first coming of Jesus. I mean, uh, there's a child coming. He's going to be born of a virgin. How weird is that? What's crazy is that there are literally five times as many prophecies about the second coming of Jesus as there is about the first coming. And so what we want to do is look at how uh, some of those things, um, kind of uh, some of those prophecies kind of come together, gel together, and, and, and play out in the weeks to come. And, and like I said, there are a lot of different interpretations. Some people believe this. Some people believe that. Some of us have been taught uh, one thing. Some have been taught another. Uh, I'm simply going to give you my views, my personal beliefs based on Bible study and tell you what I believe about certain things. But let me tell you, there are sincere Christians on all sides of these issues and it's not worth fighting about. Amen. Amen. We can, listen, we can talk about it. We can discuss it. We can speculate about it. But we are not going to argue about it or divide up into factions over it. And if you get mad and quit the church because of what I teach about the end times... I'll not like you anymore. <laughs> I'll still love you. And my wife told me not to say that. I'll still love you in the name of Jesus, but you won't get a Christmas card from me. How about that? You say, I never got a Christmas card from you yet. Well, what does that tell you? 
So today we're going to lay a foundation, and the next week we're going to look at existence, life, let's call it, after Jesus returns, okay? Questions like, what's heaven like? What's the judgment going to be like? What will eternal life consist of, and what will it be like? And then in the third week, we're going to do a survey of the book of Revelation, and I'm going to pick what I consider to be some of the most important verses that deal with the end times, and we're going to cover a lot of stuff and hopefully answer a lot of questions. And speaking of questions, in your bulletin today, you should have found a little little half index card like this. They're in different colors, so yours may not be pink or red or whatever. Okay, let me tell you what this is for. This is for you to write down any questions you might have about the end times. Now, and, and then you can, you can um, turn these in. You can put them in a basket. You can turn them in at the Welcome Center. Uh, I will look at them and make sure you hear this part. I will pick some of them. <laughs> Okay, and attempt to give an answer, attempt to, to, to answer some of the questions. There's no way I'll be able to do all of them, and some of them I'm going to read and go, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And so just it'll be, it's entirely up to me, and the judge's decision is final, and guess who's the judge? Me. And so, uh, uh, but if you have a question, a, a sincere question about the end times, feel free to write it down and, and turn it in, and we'll have those in the bulletin in the next couple of weeks uh, for that. Now, Here's an example. This is not a question anyone has asked yet, obviously, but I'll share this with you because this is the question that I get all the time. Are we living in the end times? Well, I'm going to answer that with a qualified yes, and I'm going to, I'm going to qualify it this way. The end times actually began with the ascension of Christ into heaven, right? Right? When the angel said, why do you stand here looking up in the sky? Jesus, whom you just saw leave, is going to return in the same manner. The end times began right there at that moment. That means, folks, that we have been living in the end times for 2,000 years. It's nothing new. In fact, Jesus told his followers, told people in that day, that they would begin to see signs of the end times. It's in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to come, come back to it in just a little bit, but I, I do want to look at a verse there. In Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the signs of the end times. He talks about war and, and famine and earthquake and signs in the sky, different things that will appear in the sky. And then he said this. This was in Matthew 24, verses 34 through 36. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until these things take place. Now, if I said to you today, I tell you the truth, we're, we're, we're starting this project, and I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until that project is completed. Who am I talking about? Who is this generation? It would be all of you. It would be the people that were listening to me, right? Jesus said this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my word will never disappear. However... No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. If you're an underliner, you got to underline that. No, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. The real question is, are we at the end of the end times? And the answer to that is I don't know. 
And you don't know. And nobody knows. Because Jesus said so. And listen to me carefully. If anybody, any preacher, any Bible study leader, any TV evangelist, any internet guru, if anybody tries to tell you that the world's going to end or that Jesus is going to return on a specific date, do not walk. Run as far from them as you can. Throw their books and CDs in the garbage. Because with all due respect and Christian charity, they're dumb and presumptuous and goofy and wrong. I wonder how much money Edgar Wisenant made on his book, 88 Reasons Christ Will Return in 1988. It was supposed to be October 88. Now, to Wisnant's credit, he didn't specify a date. He specified a range of dates. But guess what? He was still wrong. He just, in the next year, he just updated it. It was like, I meant 89. That was the title of that book. No, it was, it, but it was. 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 89. And, and when it didn't happen that year, he published another book the next year, but nobody bought that one. I wonder why. Here's the deal. I'll make you an offer. If any teacher or writer or swami has you convinced that the world will end on a certain day or Christ will return on such and such a date, I will bet you any amount of money that you're willing to wager that it will not happen. Somebody says, well, Pastor Scott, that's gambling. Isn't that wrong? Not if you tithe on the winnings. I'll take that bet, and you name the price. You, you name the amount, whatever, a million dollars. And we'll settle up on the day after your date. <laughs> okay? And when the world doesn't end, and I'm right, you pay me. A and if the world ends, well, you were right. <laughs> I mean, that's how it works, right? The world ends. You don't need money. What do you want money for? The world ended. So today we're going to start in Thessalonians, and let me give you a little bit of context to kind of help set the stage here. The first century Christians were convinced that Jesus was coming soon. Remember, they understood, just like we should understand, that they were living in the end times, and they thought Jesus was coming like in their lifetime, like at any moment. And they had some concerns. They were concerned. They hadn't really been taught what was going to happen to their loved ones uh, who had died, their friends and their loved ones who had already passed away, those who were Christians and believers who had already passed away. There was a little bit of confusion about what was going to happen to them. They had questions like, uh, are they going to miss out on what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to them to explain, to give them some explanation for that, and we get a tremendous amount of teaching out of just a few verses there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to read the whole thing, the whole passage, and then we'll work our way back through some parts of it, okay? Let's pick up in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died 
So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, first means what? First. <laughs> Number one, first in the sequence, first event, first thing that's going to happen. The Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So, encourage each other with these words. That's what I want to do today. I want to encourage us with these truths. As we, we look at three reasons, followers of Jesus Christ can have hope in the end time. The first reason, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. It's there in your message notes folder. The first reason we can have hope when we study the end times is because Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again. Please don't forget this. The centerpiece, the focal point of the end times is not war or persecution or natural disasters or famine or the mark of the beast or the blood moon. It's the victorious return of Jesus Christ. That's the centerpiece of the end times. Jesus talked about it himself. John 14, 3, Jesus told his followers, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus said, I'm coming back. It was his Schwarzenegger moment. I'll be back. He's coming back. In the early church, they were so excited about the return of Jesus that they actually had a greeting they would use with each other. When we greet each other, it's not very spiritual, is it? We're like, what's up? <laughs> what's going on? How you doing? That's one word. How you doing? And, and sometimes, and guys, we're more guilty of this. Sometimes it's just a head jerk, right? You see somebody you know? In fact, if somebody gets formal with us, we freak out. A couple weeks ago, somebody said to me, how do you do? And I was like, what are you talking about? Are we in 1850? But when those early Christians would see each other, they would grasp the hands of their friend, and with faith in their eyes, they would say, Maranatha. Maranatha. It means the Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming soon. Return. Come, Lord Jesus. There was this deep sense of anticipation that one Christian shared with another. Maranatha. He's coming back. He's coming back soon. We shouldn't fear the return of Christ. We should be anticipating it. We should be welcoming it. In fact, there's a scripture, Second uh, Timothy somewhere, says there's a crown waiting for all of us who eagerly desire or eagerly long for his appearing. <laughs> you know what our problem is? Most of us won't get that crown 
Because for any number of reasons, we're not longing for the return of Christ. For some of us are afraid. We don't feel like we're ready or that we're worthy or that we're good enough yet. You know, we're still trying to work our way into being good enough. And some of us are just plain too in love with this world. The return of Christ would get in the way of what we got going on. You know, I remember being a college student with a girlfriend that I was going to marry. and saying, Lord, don't come back yet. Not till after my honeymoon anyway. I mean, come on, God. Give me a break here. Those early Christians were like, Maranatha, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, he's coming back and he's coming back soon. Look at verse 16 again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Pause there for just a moment because this, this is great. The Lord himself will come down. The Lord who spoke and created the world. The Lord who whispers in the still, small voice. He's going to come himself. And when Jesus returns, what's going to happen? There's going to be a a loud, commanding shout. There's going to be a trumpet blast. Folks, those things are are loud. Vicki and I have a friend that we went to college with that is on record, is, is playing the loudest, sustained note on a trumpet. It's crazy. It'll blow your mind to hear it. The voice of the archangel, I kind of assume that's loud, don't you? I mean, I I don't think that that Paul would have given us two loud things and a soft thing. I think this voice of the archangel is going to be overpowering, overwhelming as well. And why? Why all the noise? Because the greatest victory in the history of the world demands that some noise be made. The trumpet of God blares. The angel cries out. The Lord shouts. And then what happens? The Bible says, first, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. The dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this is an area where confusion creeps in because the overall teaching of the the New Testament appears to me to teach that there will be two resurrections. There will be the, the first resurrection and the second resurrection. And the first resurrection is for deceased followers of Christ. Uh, They will be raised from the dead at the return of Christ. The second resurrection then will be for those who are not Christians. And that's called the resurrection of the dead. Short version, those who have died as unbelievers, those who have never trusted Jesus Christ and placed their faith in Him as Savior and Lord, they will be judged differently and apart from the believers. Scripture talks about it this way in Revelation. And can I just say this? Let me me just, this is an aside. It's Revelation, not Revelations. Come on, get that right. It grates on me to hear someone say Revelations. There's no S. If you continue to say Revelations, I will correct you. Every single time. You'll get tired of it. Because I'm already tired of hearing revelations. It's revelation. Okay? 
That might not mean much to you, but I hear it all the time. Revelations. No, Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. What do you mean second death? Well, think about how we talked about it the last few weeks. The last few weeks we said, if you're born once, you die twice. You die physically and then you, you have to experience the second death. But if you're born twice, you only die once. You only have a physical death. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3? You must be born again. When we call on Jesus, we are born again spiritually. Our old life is gone. Our sins are forgiven. We're transformed and made completely new. And that means our resurrection is the first resurrection and the second death has no power over us. The second death which is being eternally separated from God and destined for a very real place known as hell, that is for those who have not been born again. But the believer's hope is in the return of Christ. That's the first reason. The second reason we can have hope at the end times is number two, the reality of the rapture. He said rapture. All right, let's all take a deep breath. Hold it. Blow it out. All right, let's relax. Here we go. The rapture is when the living followers of Jesus are taken out of the earth at the return of Christ. That's the rapture. That's, that's, what, that's what the rapture is. It's when those who are alive, the followers of Jesus who are alive and still on the earth, they will be taken out of this earth, taken away from this earth at the return of Christ. Let's see what the text says. Verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. We who are still alive and remain on the earth, what? What's going to happen? Will what? We'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. After the dead followers of Christ rise first, and if, if that happens in our lifetime, it, and we believe and follow Jesus, then we will leave the earth. After they're resurrected, we will leave the earth and be caught up in the air to meet Jesus. Wow. That's something, isn't it? That's amazing. Now here's something else you've got to know. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Nowhere. It ain't in there. That's why most translations translate the Greek word harpazo as caught up. We will be caught up. But you know what that literally means? What harpazo literally means? It means to be seized, to be snatched, to be rescued. Here's what you need to remember about the rapture. It's when Jesus comes to rescue us. He comes to, to rescue us. I told you this was good news. Those of us who remain alive on the earth will be rescued. We'll be snatched out of here. We'll be caught up and carried away by Jesus Christ himself. Now there are, are a lot of questions 
about when the rapture will occur. And again, I'm not talking about a date on the calendar, but, but where in the sequence of events that will mark the return of Christ, that mark the, the end of the end times, where's the rapture uh, going to happen? And there are several different uh, views about that. They, basically, they come down to these three, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. Now, I need to say this. The tribulation is a seven-year period coming at the end of time when everything on earth goes to hell. You think things are bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. There will be worldwide war and starvation and persecution and godlessness and depravity and sin on a level we have never seen before. And someone who believes in a pre-tribulation rapture believes that Christians will be taken out of the earth before the tribulation, before it starts happening. The rest are kind of self-explanatory, aren't they? Mid-tribulation, people believe that Christians are rescued in the middle of that seven-year period. And, and like a lot of them, literally in the middle, at the three-and-a-half-year point, we're out of here. Post-tribulation people believe that Christians are rescued when? After the tribulation. Okay? You see how that works? Oh, yeah, I forgot. There's a fourth one. There's pan-tribulation. And that's those who don't really know, but they're pretty sure it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> my personal view is pre-tribulation because of my faith in the goodness of of our God, because Jesus is going to harpazo us. He's going to rescue us out of this world and take us away to be with him. He's that good. I don't see how we can go through the tribulation with the good God and the loving Jesus that we have. Jesus describes the rapture in, in Matthew 24. I told you we were going back there. Let's look at a couple of verses back in Matthew 24. Jesus says, Matthew 24, verses 40 through 42, Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. And then Jesus makes this application. Don't miss this. Verse 42. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Listen. For followers of Jesus, this is serious stuff. Jesus is returning. The trumpet will sound, and we have to be ready because it could happen at any time. It could happen at any time. In our world, it might mean two people are working at an office, you know, pecking away on their computers. One is taken and the other is left. Or maybe a family has... Uh, just sat down for dinner and they're at the table and three are taken and three are left. Or it could literally be at church like right now. Half of us taken, the rest of you left. And yes, I included my, myself and the half that's taken. Now let me also say this. Again, your mileage may vary. You may have a different view. But I don't see a secret rapture in the pages of the New Testament. 
In other words, I don't see the rapture occurring and the people that are left behind going, well, where'd they go? What happened? Where's the people? <laughs> you ever see any of those movies? When I was in youth group, they showed us these cheesy movies about the rapture that, that were, and I'm sure the people were well-intentioned and loved Jesus, but the movies were terrible. I mean, come on, they were, they were, oh boy, I don't know how to describe them. They were just awful. And the rapture would take place and the people's clothes were always left behind. <laughs> they could be raptured naked. <laughs> Over in Revelation, we're told to be ready and keep your clothes close by so that you're not exposed in your nakedness. <laughs> but for some reason, when they were raptured, they'd be this clothes, be all laid in a little flat person sitting on a chair or laying on a bed or piled up in front of a kitchen sink, water still running, you know. But I don't see a secret rapture. I mean, think about what Paul told us. Well, think about all that noise. Think about the loud commanding shout and the trumpet blast. You know, think about Jesus here saying, two people are going to be working together and one's just going to be gone. I think you would notice that. Half my family disappears at dinner one night. Something's going on. The rapture is not, not hidden. But here's the, here's the larger point. Here's the bigger point. Be ready. Be prepared. Man, stop trying to figure out the date and live every day like Jesus could come back right now. Maranatha, our Lord is coming. He is coming soon. Our hope for living in the end times is rooted in the return of Jesus. And the reality of the rapture, our rescue. And then number three, if you're taking notes, this is exciting. Number three is our reunion with Jesus. Our reunion with Jesus. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Again, we've read some of this a couple times. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Here it comes. Then we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord forever. We're going to come back to this next week. But I want this to sink in a little bit. I want us to to think about that. We will be with the Lord forever. What does that mean? It means no more pain, no more sin, no more heartache, no more brokenness, no more disease, no more sickness, no more poverty, no more starving children. No more divorce. No more loneliness. No more cancer. We will be with the Lord forever. And we will never cry from sadness or loss or regret ever again. The Bible says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another 
with these words. Maranatha, our Lord, is coming back. He's coming soon. Folks, we are living in the end times. So what does that mean? What should we do? Well, I'll tell you what we should do. We should dig bunkers and stockpile food and weapons so that when things get bad and someone comes into our house, we can shoot them and kill them in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. No. What should we do? We should encourage each other with these words. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back to rescue us. And we, and we should live with an urgency to share this good news with everybody we know. Man, the message of the end times is that God is good and that Jesus loves us and that heaven is going to be incredible. This is like the best news ever. And we don't know what to say to our unsaved friends and loved ones and co-workers. Are you kidding me? Man, if the people in our world only knew how good God is and how much Jesus loves us and how awesome heaven will be, we couldn't build church buildings big enough anywhere to hold the people. So here's what we do. We serve Him and we praise Him and we worship Him and we give in His name and we, we share His love and we spread His grace and we live with intensity and purpose. If you knew Jesus was coming back next Thursday, how would you live today? Then live that way today and tomorrow and the next day. That's how we should live. Not for the things of this world, but for the things that matter most. He is returning. Maranatha, he is coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.